You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical backward ass ideals we have here in the United States. And this is episode 102 of American Sex Podcast. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my awesome co-host is Ken Melvoinberg, who you'll be hearing from in just a few minutes. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts too. This week, we talk about community building with Dixie De La Tour. She's a sexual folklorist, storyteller, entrepreneur, podcaster, teacher, catalyst, coach, community builder, facilitator, and instigator. And that's just for starters. She's the founder, curator, and host of the award-winning sex and storytelling show, Body Storytelling. Dixie's passionate about the art of storytelling, its ability to reduce shame, stigma, and loneliness, and its power to connect strangers. As a former sex party producer and dating site community manager, Dixie founded Body Storytelling, the live stage series, almost 13 years ago, and she started Body Storytelling podcast in 2016. The Body Storytelling Podcast has won multiple Best of Awards from Forbes, GQ, Marie Claire, Uproxx, and twice by Esquire Magazine. Dixie's been sainted by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. She's been hailed as the founder of the original Sex and Storytelling series by Playgirl and called The Moth for Pervs by LA Weekly. Her stories are fan favorites on the Risk Storytelling Podcast and... Little known fact, Dixie recently became a Muppet. So if you're a Patreon supporter of American Sex Podcast, you've heard Dixie and I shoot the shit quite a few times in our full-length bonus episodes. And this is her second time back on our regular run of American Sex Podcast. Now, on this episode, Dixie not only talks to us about how storytelling can build community, but the important elements we all need to find and to build our own communities, no matter what facet of our lifestyle that community is built on. We talk about how finding community and sharing your authentic self, hell, even finding your authentic self within that community helps change the stories you tell yourself about yourself. You know, how your self-talk transforms from, it was all my fault, I'm a horrible person, I'm no good, to things like, I'm okay, I did the best I could, and I'm not alone, I'm not the only one. Now, this is one of the reasons that the Me Too movement was so powerful and transformative. Dixie tells us in our conversation a story about how the community she built and the use of the word vagina within that community not only healed trauma for an entire family, but stopped a habitual abuser from committing more horrific crimes. We also touch on the power of vulnerability cultivating empathy, and finding the courage to tell the stories that people really want and need to hear. And finally, we get into why community is important, especially in the sex-positive community, and why it's most important to find other people that you're actually not going to fuck, because it's not all about the fucking. We also get into the unlikely places community is cultivated, not just in person, but the various places online and surprise, surprise, the community that you and I are creating 
right now on this podcast and others like it. I do want to give a content note that in our conversation, we do briefly talk about childhood sexual abuse. So make sure you're in the right headspace for that. And if you're not, come back later. We'll be here. Now, speaking of community, you know what time it is. It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. Our Patreon community, our family, it's growing. I want to give a big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Steph for becoming an American Sex Podcast Patreon member this past week. We appreciate you so much, and we couldn't do this podcast without you. Thank you. If you're curious about Patreon, you can find out more about membership at patreon.com slash American Sex. Not only does your membership help support the show, you get lots of awesome perks too, like bonus stories from our guests, extra full-length episodes, all of our regular episodes early, American Sex podcast stickers, a shout out right here on the podcast, random surprises in the mail, and much more. And speaking of community again, I've got some updates on the free online sex educator Skillshare training organized by the ever fabulous Ducky Doolittle. Yeah. So listen, if you're an existing or aspiring sexuality educator, you can access free online training every Sunday from September 15th through the end of calendar year 2019. The website I'm about to give you is a mouthful, so I'll also have it in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com, but you'll find out all the info at sextoyradio.com slash sex-educator-skill-share-conference. Sessions are just being announced, and you can sign up for them now. I volunteered my time to teach podcasting for audience growth and revenue on Sunday, December 8th, and there's still eight classes to be announced. But so far up on the roster, we've got Understanding Sex After Cancer, Creating Online Courses, How to Envision, Build, and Share Your Online Teaching, Collaborating with Colleagues, Organizing a Multi-Teacher Sex Ed Fair, Things I Wish People Told Me About Sex Education and Self-Care, sex education and autism, and also my session on podcasting. So jump on these quickly before they fill up, because I bet they will. And again, these sessions are absolutely 100% free. And because this is a grassroots, no-budget volunteer program, I know Ducky can still use sponsors to help cover hard costs and giveaways for attendees of the sessions, and also your help spreading the news about this resource via social media posts or telling your friends or talking it up to colleagues at events and whatnot is very much appreciated. And hey, theme of the episode, I got another community thing. Oh my God, it's all about community. It's the common thread through everything. So September 27th is coming up super fast, and that's the weekend I'm teaching at the Firewoman Retreat in San Diego, and there is still time for you to join us. Now, it's a unique three-day event hosted by Amy Jo Goddard, and it's designed to help women and non-binary folks break through the things that hold them back from being who they really are as sexual people. It includes transformative teachings, play shops, incredible evening events by Firelight, and powerful connection with others who are also on this journey of sexual evolution. To find out more, you can head to firewomanretreat.com slash sunny. Okay, one more thing. And guess what? I mean, it 
right? It's not a surprise now. It's a community thing because that's what we're building all the time. So are you signed up for a newsletter? Reason I'm asking is you know how social media platforms are cracking down on anything related to sex and even sex ed, even very benign sexual health things. They're straight up deleting accounts with no warning. So to be sure we don't lose touch in the event of a censorship crackdown, I highly encourage you to get on that mailing list of ours. If you have your phone handy, you can sign up for ours via text right now. Just text the word Megatron to the number 444-999. And that's it. You can also visit sunnymegatron.com slash newsletter to sign up online. All right, American fuckers, are you ready for some really good community building juicy stuff? Strap in your earphones, strap on your strap on, strap on whatever you want to strap on. Here is Dixie De La Tour. Online, we have somebody who I talk to all the fucking time. Uh, She's your hetero life mate. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Dixie De La Tour. Hello, Dixie. Hey, Sonny and Ken. Hey. Hey. So, all right. You and I, through our conversations, both public and private, there has been a recurring theme coming up in our work, in our life, just some things we talk about, and that is community. Mm-hmm. And not just community, I don't know, not just like sex positive community, but community in every facet of our life, whether it's sex positive community, whether it's, uh, you know, people with the same sort of lifestyle we have, women, uh, you know, plus size people, there are all sorts of identities that we belong to. And you and I and pretty much everybody fucking else in the world is always looking for the community surrounding that thing. Yeah. So. You've spent your life's work cultivating community. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think it's come up for us recently because you guys just had a big move from, you know, living for so many years in Chicago to being in Vegas now and you're looking for your community and your life has been has changed so much, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think When it comes to the sex positive community and the kink community, which I think are the two things that Ken and I identify with most, Chicago was really rich and robust and had a lot of community, not saying we didn't have our problems, because we did. Um, But moving here to Vegas, we so far haven't really found much community. And from what we're hearing, the community here isn't as, I don't know, cohesive cohesive is a good word yeah it's a little there's some and don't get me wrong there are some great people here sir robert and there's a you know a bunch of other great folks in the yeah. leather Polly community superstar here. is here who else Polly superstar is here Polly now. superstar yeah. is here um you know we've got uh, will and kara who just you know, who uh, care formerly of the stock room is now out here and they're uh doing stuff along with Polly. and there's great stuff happening on the horizon we're just not quite there yet yeah yeah, and I've lived in San Francisco in January. I celebrate 30 years. And wow. it's because I live in such a sex positive city that I found my people. I mean, I grew up in the South. I was always a freak. There was no real community there other than church community. And church was everything there. And I loved things about church. I loved, 
you know, parables or stories. I've always loved stories. I like sing-alongs and music, but everything else seemed to be about we're great and you're bad, you know, and I didn't like that part. And I always thought that if you could build the perfect community, it would be one that says, uh, yeah, it's your life. You get to do what you want with it. Let's just come together and celebrate the things we have in common and realize that we're humans that have differences. I think that's what you're talking about when you were talking about Chicago and it wasn't perfect and things like that. It's always going to be that way when you've got more than five people, you know, it's going to be people who were like, I believe this and you should not believe that. One of the things that I love about our community is we've all come in as outsiders. We've all been, you know, part we've been in a we've been in a city or a a place in our lives where we were either shamed for who we are or mm-hmm. we've been looking for other people to show us what we want to see in the world. We want to see ourselves reflected. And if you're a fat person and all you see is magazines that have size zero models, you're going to feel wrong all the time. If you're a a woman in the workplace and all you see is men doing all the talking, you're going to feel like you are an anomaly. And I think that's the great thing about coming together in community is you can look around and go, I am not alone. There are a lot of people like me out there in the world. I just haven't found them till right now. I was thinking a lot before we talked, why is community important? Why is a person's sense of belonging important? And of course, I hit Google. I'm like, why do we need this? And I'm like, oh, fucking like I took psychology in college. I should have remembered this. (laughs) Like smack dab in the middle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is love and belonging. Oh, look at you. Know, you. Like, yeah, I know. It's like, whoa, Google to the rescue. <laughs> um, so, so, oh, my my phone is actually Googling it right now. It <laughs> your phone is always on it. Like technology says, Sonny, let me be your second brain. <laughs> yeah, my phone is like, I see you need company and community. Let me be part of your community and talk to you. Um, but no, I, you know, I was really thinking about like, why do we clamor for community and people. And I know for me, when I got into sex positivity and sex education, I always felt like I was the only one experiencing the things I was experiencing, whether it was trauma, whether it was just like, you know, my weird, quirky sexual things that I thought made me a weirdo freak that nobody else did. And it was only once I found other people like me, and like you said, hearing the stories reflected in other people, that it changed like the stories that I told myself about myself. Yeah. You know, I told myself, you're a freak, you're a weirdo for liking the things you like, or, you know, all the trauma that you had in your life makes you this like, you know, fucked up person who'll never find love and, you know, whatever. And then when I found other people who were like, oh, me too, totally like samesies. I was like, you know what? I'm not fucked up. This isn't my fault. It's just a thing. That happens. Mm -hmm. And it becomes, I don't know, a a experience I can bond with other people with. Yeah, I think, I think that's why I mean, we all were there when Me Too blew up on the internet. And watching all those people who'd experienced sexual assault or consent violations, watching the response when somebody said, here's what happened to me, which took a lot of bravery, and watching 
everybody else lose their mind. I watched my Facebook feed go crazy with people telling intensely personal stories, knowing it was public, just going, I feel like I finally have, you know, this is something that I've held in for so long and somebody else started telling their story and now I have to tell my story too. And they built this Me Too community, which Uh made everybody feel safer, which made everybody realize that what happened was not their fault because that's what stories do. Stories make you realize it's not you. You know, it's a thing. It's happened to other people too. So that experience you've had may not be your fault. Yeah. It kind of, you know, it, it, hearing other people's stories turns it from, you know, it was my fault, which it wasn't, but whoever's listening, it was not your fault mm-hmm. to, you know, I did the best with what I had at the time. Yeah. And, and that's it. And it's, it's not, you know, your fault, whatever happened to you or however you, you are for whatever reason. Hey, Ken, have you ever heard me tell the story of um, Chelsea, the woman who listened to my podcast and how it changed her life? No, I don't think I have. So I have told a story recently. Uh, For the past couple of years, I've kind of been telling the secret mission for what I do. Because I don't think it's always fun for people to know that maybe something that is a community that is that is positive, that is fun. If it comes out of a place where something negative happened, that's probably a downer. And I figured not everybody needed to know that my origins were because I was sexually assaulted as a teenager. I wanted to create a place that was safe and stories keep you safe because it lets you know, you know, it lets you know that you're not the only one. It lets you know that uh, there are people who are going to applaud and accept you regardless of what vulnerable piece you reveal on stage or to another member of the audience. But anyway, that was me off in the weeds. So I had talked about this on the podcast and I was having a a problem with podcasting. I am very social and I love talking to people. And when I'm on stage, I'm talking and nobody's talking to me and podcasting is talking and nobody's talking to me. So I told my audience that I really wanted them to let me know that they were listening and if the podcast was making a difference in their life. And I got an email probably seven or eight months ago that changed my life. And this woman wrote me, her name was Chelsea. And she said, I am not a writer. I am not a storyteller. This is not going to be beautifully crafted, but you said you need to hear it. So I'm going to tell you. She said, I was raised in a house that my parents could not afford to have kids, but they did anyway, which meant that we couldn't live on our own. We had to move in with relatives. So we moved into this big house that was full of grandparents and great aunts and and everything. And the overwhelming vibe in the house was that everybody was in some stage of alcoholism. And between the ages of three and nine, she was raped by an uncle in the house. Mm. And she lived in a house where they didn't have sex education. They didn't talk about such things. And she thought it was her. At 16, I think it was 16. At 16, she ended up pregnant. And nobody in the house would speak to her for the entire nine months. She just sat in a corner, red with shame, because everybody was, you know, ignoring her. 
She gave the baby up for adoption. She grew up, she got married, had kids, and somehow she found Sex Positive Podcasts and she found my podcast. The theme song for my podcast is My Vagina is Eight Miles Wide by Storm Large. I and love that song. I love that song so much. <laughs> and one day, it starts out every episode. One day, she caught herself singing the theme as the episode started. And she said the word vagina out loud for the first time in her life and went, oh! but it opened the floodgates. And before she knew it, like nothing, though I didn't get struck down by lightning for saying vagina, so maybe there's nothing wrong with it. And eventually she went to the other women in the house and told them that the uncle who had lived in that house had sexually assaulted her. And immediately her aunt said, oh, he's, he sexually assaulted me. Her grandmother said he sexually assaulted me. The female neighbor oh. said he sexually assaulted <gasps> me. And they found out by talking to each other for the very first time that the uncle was babysitting a seven-year-old girl in the neighborhood. And these women who never realized there were others like them that had had this experience went to the police together and got child protective services and the police involved and they saved the seven-year-old. Wow. Because of the wow. word vagina. Wow. Wow. It's it's just fucking amazing to me, you know, what community can do. Yeah. You know, and and I have been I've been like getting into books on tape lately. I don't know what's up with me. Is I that audible? Audible, oh my God. So I've and I told you this that I've been listening to Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. And by the way, for everyone listening along fucking go listen to that it's six hours of amazingness and audible.com slash as podcast <laughs> anyway i love that'll you. be in the show notes too love you <laughs> always be promoting abp <laughs> uh so <laughs> but um i w i'm just i was just so struck by listening to the power of vulnerability because basically it it has to do with like we're all afraid of being vulnerable and just stemming from vulnerability, it's like that we're afraid to show our vulnerability. We're afraid to tell our stories. We're afraid to, you know, talk about what's happened to us or how we're feeling or whatever, because it makes us appear weak. It may, you know, and we don't want to be all those things. Mm -hmm. And if we just overcome that and we open our mouths and start talking, there's so much magic that can come from it. So like, you cultivate stories. And yes, it's mostly in a sex positive space. But you've also done like, you know, you've coached like corporate storytelling. And if you've told stories or had storytelling events at like local libraries and things like that. So it's not necessarily all like dirty boobs, bouncing dicks and blowjobs <laughs> and alleys, you know, <laughs> although those are great stories, too. Um but how much of your work and your community building and your storytelling centers on harnessing vulnerability? Well, I mean, I spend most of my time coaching stories. So when mm -hmm. people pitch me a story for the show or they say wanna, they want to work on a story on technology, um, they will tell me a story, which is the first version of a story is always what they think people want to hear. And that story has no vulnerability in it. They want to sound like a hero, you know, being a hero in your own story 
doesn't draw people in. It de- it makes them think, well, aren't you great? But it doesn't make them think, holy shit, that person is just like me. So most of the time that I spend coaching, I am asking questions. And when they give me a detail, they're like, ah, actually, I failed like 14 times before I ever succeeded. I'm like, put that in the story. And they're like, nobody cares about that. I'm like, everybody cares. Nobody relates to you when you're doing everything right. Everybody relates to you when you admit you did it wrong, when you admit you didn't know what to do. There's a reason we love first-time stories. The first time I had anal, the first time I got on a stage and I talked in front of women in technology, admitting that you did it wrong, admitting that you were terrified, fear is like something everybody can relate to. Fear of public speaking is like you know, it's it's in front of death now, I think, in front of things that we're afraid of. But admitting you're terrified. People get mad at me when I put them on stage. And I go, you guys, this person is terrified. And that's because I want the audience to realize if you were up here, you'd be feeling the same thing. If you were about to tell your intimate details into a microphone in front of hundreds of people, you would be terrified. So make it relatable the storyteller will stand on the mic and go, Dixie, you did not have to tell them that. I did because you just got this huge groundswell of applause because they are now putting themselves in your place and realizing, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. If I were talking to a microphone for the first time, I'd be having a fucking freak out right now. And that's that's something that's across any any sort of public speaking, anything like that, you know. We want to, we want to look cool. We want to go, I invented the solution to cancer. Did it all by myself. I'm the smartest person who ever lived. And everybody in the room will go, oh, that's, that's good. We needed that. But they're not going to fall in love with you. And stories, intimate, personal, vulnerable stories is how people fall in love with you. And those people, listening to stories builds community. Because I watch people all the time who don't have a community yet, who think, well, I have this crazy story. Maybe I could get on stage and tell it. They get off the stage and they're mobbed by people who were like, oh my God, that happened to me. Or, oh my God, I'm having a party. Please come. Or you're an amazing speaker. How did you do that? Or what was the name of that book you mentioned in your, like any excuse to talk to somebody after they did something that brave, like that person instantly becomes a member of community. They become a rock star in a community because, oh, you're the one who told the story about pony play. You know, you have, you have a point of reference for the people who heard your story forever. That's why so I, I feel a, like it's so important. I'm sorry. I have you? sort of an uncomfortable question for you on the other side of the coin. Have you ever had somebody come up and pitch a story about a sexual assault they had committed? Um, a sexual assault. Yes, I have. In fact, that happened fairly recently. And one of the things I do as a curator of a show is I make sure that the audience is kept safe and Mm -hmm. that can feel, I mean, I take it on a case by case basis. I believe that if you feel remorse for what you did, that you should have an opportunity to tell your story. But my priority is to the audience first. And we're seeing so much of it right now. I don't, I said no to that story because I felt like we didn't really need to traumatize people any more than they have been 
in the yeah. past little while. I have to, and I, you guys probably know this. Do you know about, um, in terms of cons- consent and community and things like that, do you have anything where you live or are part of online where they are starting to change consent communities so that there are two tracks? There are tracks for victims of assault, and they also have a track for assaulters. Yeah, like you're talking about accountability processes and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love for the longest time, mm-hmm. people were just like, "Well, now you should fall off the planet and die," and that's not going to happen. And I and after the initial reaction, where everybody was like having this strong, this strong reaction, like that person is terrible. Let's ostracize them, which they should do. If that person was remorseful, they're not going to die. You know, right. How do you how do you teach them and how do you bring them back? And I'm loving that I'm starting to see this out there in the world. Like there mm-hmm. there is now a process for assaulters too, not just victims. Yeah. And that there needs to be, you know, because not everybody sure we've got those anomalies that are just like horrible people, habitual abusers that don't care, you know, really awful people or whatever you want to call them. But that's not everybody. Mm-mm. You know, it's like, what do, what do we do with the people that do have remorse that are teachable, that are changeable? So I think I think one of the things we're taught when we first come into sex positive community is that, oh, my God, this is about me. This is a place for me. And it that's about you. And if we stay in that place where it's like me, 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 you're going to think about who can I have sex with? Who, you know, it, it's all about your own pleasure. It's all about your own fulfillment. And you're not thinking about other people. That's mm-hmm. the selfish side of sex. But yeah. if you care about giving other people pleasure, if you care about making sure other people feel welcome, then that's more of a... That, that's more of a, like, I'm thinking of others and not just myself. Maybe those people came into the community just thinking about, oh, this is a great opportunity to fuck people. And they harmed some people in that process. Yeah. If they yeah. realized they fucked up later. It's so, I, I'm just amazed that we now have curriculums for those people to figure out how to be trustworthy again and how to mm-hmm. be accepted. Yeah. Agree. So I just thought of a good, I don't know, title for you. Mm-hmm. From what I'm hearing and everything you're saying about, you know, how you coach people in stories and, you know, and pretty much everything you let just said for the last how many ever minutes, you're an empathy cultivator. Ooh, you are. I like that. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that I like to do as I'm listening to a story is I'm listening to make sure the storyteller is going to have a great experience so that they can get a standing ovation and they can feel seen and they can find their community and all those things. But as we get closer and closer to that state, that story going on stage, I shift to listening to the audience's experience Mm -hmm. and, Oh, well, no, that's, that's going to set some people off. You don't need to, because I don't do trigger warnings. Right. You know, I want people to we're all going to discover together this thing. Don't don't tell people in the beginning. (laughs) I had one storyteller get on stage in Los Angeles and they told a story that had no sex in it. But the story did involve going on a weird date with somebody off FetLife and how they were so terrified 
that they thought this weirdo was going to kill them. Oh, God. They were standing on stage telling that story. So clearly the weirdo did not kill them. Right. I got hate mail the next day from people saying, you should have warned us that that story was scary. And I was like, well, the only, that story had no sex. The story was a story, but it had no sex. And people at Baldy tend to expect that there's going to be some sex kink or gender in the story. So what does that story have? Suspense. If we take mm-hmm. away the suspense, how engaging is that story? Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm usually listening for the audience, uh, for their experience so that we can make sure that they've learned something. There's less of education in the story so that they can put themselves in the room and see the socks of the person who left them on while they were having sex, you know. Um, describe what a sex party is for people who've never been to things like that. Because, I mean, you guys teach workshops. I've Mm -hmm. always been fascinated by the fact that people come to workshops. How did you know you were interested in the subject matter of the workshop? Yeah. You know, I mean, you teach classes on kink and electro play and things like that. How do people who've never done that know that they are interested enough in electro play to take a workshop about it? Yeah, I think I think it you know sometimes it's partners or friends, you know, they're like, "Oh, come on, come with me." I don't uh-huh. know. No, no. So, if they hear it from somebody else, sometimes especially when they're classes that are free, they're like, "What have I got to lose? <laughs> they're free. Like I'll just go. It's 2 hours. Let's just see." You know, I'm kind of curious. And oftentimes we get people in our classes who are like, oh, yeah, I'm totally into this. Or I thought maybe I was into it. And now that I'm at the class, yeah, I'm totally into it. And sometimes they're like, you know what, I just learned that this isn't really for me. Or I just learned how I can take little bits and pieces of the parts that are for me and like leave the rest to the side. And sometimes it's a fuck no, but that's usually an electrician. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I'm not exaggerating about that. No genders or anything. Every single electrician that has taken that class has said, fuck, no, I'm not, you know, I, I want to listen to it. I don't want to experience yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just, when you said that, I just had a memory I hadn't thought of forever of somebody 25 years ago when I first moved here, their roommate was an electrician who was electrocuted to death. And I hadn't <gasps> thought about that person until you said that just now. Oh, you know, well, somebody I, you only saw in somebody's help. living room. <laughs> what? Sorry. So I'm glad I could help. <laughs> Thanks for re-traumatizing me, Ken. yeah i mean think about kink conferences we want to increase the attendance it's very expensive to do a conference or a festival but those people don't really know yet if they want to sink hundreds of dollars or if they want to spend a thousand dollars on the hotel for it unless they're completely immersed in the community already Mm -hmm. so how do they know that well you know it's It's interesting because I've observed, you know, it's like when you have so much of a good thing, it eventually turns into a bad thing, you know? So it's like in the kink community, you'll get like, okay, we're just developing this community and it's grown over the years. And then suddenly it turns into like, I'm the kinkiest. And if you're not as kinky as me, you don't belong here. And, you know, it turns into instead of being accepting, it's like if you don't fit into this like total counterculture mold, then you're not cool enough to be in the group. And there was a thread that, that came up recently. I know you know the thread I'm talking about. It was, um, there's a, 
a, a monogamous munch <laughs> in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of people were like, wait a minute, a monogamous munch. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know what a munch is, it is a gathering for like either kinky or poly or whatever sexual subgroup people, but it's at a restaurant. It's kind of like a non-sexual meet and greet. So you can just kind of connect with your community and meet some like-minded people. And usually in the kink community, you find people who are obviously kinky. Um, a vast majority of people are polyamorous, open relationships, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I notice in our classes, we have a lot of people that come to our kink classes who are like, I'm totally into this. Like, I'm kinky. I like bondage. I like, you know, lecture play. Some of them are really fucking kinky, like really out there, like extreme stuff. But they're like, I don't feel welcome at any of these conventions or any of these gatherings because everybody is expecting me to play with everybody and be poly. And that's just not my thing. It's like me and my wife or me and my, you know, significant other or whatever. And we don't have a place. Yeah. So for me, when I heard about that, I was like, well, that's kind of cool because I've had so many people come up to me that are like, I'm really into kink except for this one thing. I'm monogamous. So it's not for me. And I'm like, well, that's a shame, you know, so that you feel don't that this place is not for you just because you don't fit in that one way. Exactly. Yeah. I have exactly. people all the time who come up to me at the show, like at the break or, you know, who are like, oh my God, I just dream of being on that stage, but I don't have these crazy stories. I'm monogamous. I'm not kinky. I'm, and they think that's what you have to be because those are the things that you hear. And I'm like, do you know what the most downloaded episode of my podcast is? It's called monogamish. Because yeah. people want to see themselves reflected. The first place they go is, well, we're monogamous. Let's see how other people do monogamy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I don't so as we've been sitting here talking, I've been looking up monogamy munch, and I am surprised because there hasn't, there's nothing listed in Chicago, but you know where there is something listed at? Where? San Francisco at Wicked Grounds. You're kidding. No. What? They have oh, a monogamy well, munch in September on September 7th from 2 to 4. Oh, shit. Which, by the time this airs, it'll be over. Oh, but hopefully over. they'll but have another it'll, one. You know, it'll be on the horizon. Plus, Wicked Grounds is a great place. They're friends of ours. They're a great place to go. Oh, my God. That's coming up. And it's in my city. If I have time, I think I might have to hit the monogamous munch just to see. You should. Because I, you know, FetLife is one of those places. And I saw it originally advertised on FetLife. FetLife is one of those places where... Uh, People are like, if you're not like us and you don't do it our way, then um, maybe you shouldn't be here. And that's one of the things I hate about the Internet is people can be really judgmental or they can say, I'm interpreting what you said this way and I don't like that way. So I'm going to shame you for what you just posted for. It just feels yeah. really hard to connect with people in a place where they can't see your face and see that they hurt your feelings or mm -hmm. take a look at you and realize maybe I read that wrong. Maybe I should take another pass at that and go, Oh, that's not what they meant at all. Right. That's right. why I'm so passionate about in-person events and bringing people together and building community in new cities. And I was firmly against a podcast when I started because I'm like, that's the internet. That is, that is not people meeting face to face. That's not making new friends. That's not building community. And I was so wrong about that. It's totally 
I've totally fallen in love with it when at first I was like, people keep telling me, they've been telling me for years, they want to hear these stories, but they're in places where the show isn't. So I, I'll just try. Yeah. And letters yeah. like the one from Chelsea made me go, holy shit, podcasting is life changing and you have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And also online groups. Like I noticed now you have a body storytelling online group. And it's like, even though meeting face to face, there's a lot of importance meeting face to face. I mean, people even can even tell you that in business. That's why we do business trips and don't just have conference calls all the time. This is why we get together because there's a certain magic that you have face to face, but not everybody has access to that. Yeah. You know, and, you know, one other thing, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, people going to conventions or not going to conventions because they don't feel welcome. There's a lot of people that Ken and I come across who are like, I don't go to munches. I don't go to play parties. I don't go to, you know, whatever events, you know, because I I don't want to have sex with all these people. Like maybe they are monogamous or yeah. maybe they're just like, I'm just not into like dating a bunch of people. I or don't, maybe they're polysaturated. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, I just don't want to go meet people for hookups. So I'm not going to meet in person. And it's like, I tell so many people like you don't have, especially sex positive events. You don't have to go to these events to look for people to fuck. If you're again, you know, that monogamous couple that likes to get kinky in the bedroom, you know, when the kids are at grandma's or whatever, go to a fucking munch. Meet other people that are like-minded, that you can bounce ideas off, that you can have these like one-on-one conversations with work. It's like, I like this. Am I weird? And they're like, oh, no, I like that too. I thought I was the only one. You know, we have so many friends, personal friends that we have conversations like this about so many different topics. Why can't we have friends that we talk about sexual topics with? So that's so important yeah. when it comes to having community. It's like you don't have to fuck your entire community. You don't have to fuck any of them. And and when you admit you like something, let's let's say you like cock and ball torture and you think you're the only one who likes that, you talk to somebody else who, you know, is a is into the same thing, Mm -hmm. they're going to go, if you like this, you might like that. And it's going to open up your world. And you're not going to find that just by reading a book on cock and ball torture. They might reference something, but other people who are interested in the same thing you are can turn you on to new things. And that's something that might happen on the internet, but it happens so much more organically face to face. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think so, that Ken should define the term polysaturated because not everybody knows that term. Oh, yes. Sorry about that. So if you are in a polyamorous relationship and you feel like, you know what? I have enough partners. Like I couldn't have another partner if my life depended <laughs> on it at this point. You're you're probably polysaturated. <laughs> Too many partners, Too not many enough partners. time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or you've had just the right amount of partners. Yeah. Yeah. Support for this episode of American Sex Podcast comes from Manscaped. They are number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for you or your honey's family jewels. Ken loves Manscaped products, and as you'll hear him spontaneously gush about later in our conversation with Dixie, I do too. I love Manscaped products, not because I use them myself, but... I guess I could use them now. I got to try that. I'll report back. But because I like working with a super smooth canvas, if you know what I mean. 
I bet you or one of your partners would dig Manscaped too. In fact, I think this so much that I'm going to give you 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. All you have to do is use the code SUNNY at checkout. So what makes Manscaped products so great anyway? Well, Manscaped has completely redesigned the electric trimmer. Their sexy lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer shaves nuts but does not chop them. We also know that balls stank. That can be a problem, and that's why Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Manscaped is the perfect gift for you or your partner. No more stinky. No more ball five o'clock shadow scraping off your face when you're trying to work your magic. And say goodbye to those pubes stuck in your throat. American fuckers, go get your 20% off and free shipping with code SUNNY. That's S-U-N-N-Y at manscaped, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D dot com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code SUNNY. So, okay, you have been building community and you surprisingly like plot twist. You thought that, you know, podcasting was anti-community building, but you found out it was actually like so community building. So what other ways have you found to build that community and branch out of your normal, you know, like you do body storytelling on the West Coast here and there? What other things have you been doing to make that community even bigger and more robust? Well, I'm about to go on tour. And before I talk about that, let's, I, I, I mentioned this on my own podcast, but I'm not sure I've ever told you about this guy, this thing. What? After having done live shows, you know, at least to a month for most of the last 13 years, I can get really burnt out on coaching people in their stories about their butthole, which I like to say everybody has a butthole. So that's the great equalizer. Um, I always have people because I do events at places that have cocktails. I've got the people who've had three or four cocktails who hit me as soon as I get off the stage and go, oh my God, that story I have. Uh, and they want to tell me a story or they want to tell me a thought they had during the story or what they liked. And I always go, go tell the storyteller. Don't tell me. They're the ones who need the affirmations, not me. Um, when I step off the stage and I get hit by the people who've had numerous cocktails, I often see this person who is standing back 10 or 12 feet, who is just making eye contact with me and looks terrified, but they don't leave. So while the drunks are talking to me, I'm just giving this, usually it's usually the person who's female identified, but it's it's been everything, I think, in the number of years I've been doing this. And I will just raise my finger and go, hang on, don't go away, hang on. Because I can tell by the look on their on their face who they are. And they will just wait. They're not going anywhere. And as soon as I get through the passel of people, I go to them and I go, hi. And they go, oh my God, I found your podcast or I discovered this online as an event. And I can't believe there's a place where we're allowed to talk about sex. And I didn't know anybody who would go to this with me. So I came by myself and I was terrified. But this is something that I've been looking for forever. And I didn't know people talked about this. And I thought I was the only one. And I say, I set this show up so you can come by yourself. You don't have to have a community yet. This is where you can build community. And we usually end up 
crying on each other's shoulders while they tell me, like, there's nothing wrong with me. Or, I mean, often I suspect they've had experiences that weren't positive, you know, around sex. And we just cry and hug each other. Those are my favorite shows. Regardless of the stuff that ended up on stage, those are my favorite shows. I've had it happen at most cities that I've gone to where people are like, I didn't know. I mean, you know, if you go to a comedy show, so often if you hear somebody talk about sex, they talk about it in a negative way. Like, I fucked the ugliest person. Who's going to feel good about that? They're going to sit in the audience and go, I'm not feeling like I look great today. Maybe they're talking about a person like me. When you mm-hmm. when you come at it from a negative point of view, people can go, um, you know, I feel like maybe I'm the person you're making fun of. So I don't let people do that. I don't let comedians do that. Uh, if you went on a date and it was a horrible date, let's let's talk about the part that is funny because you weren't a fit. Nobody's ugly. Nobody's stupid. Nobody's wrong. You're just not a fit, you know? And knowing that there's a place that is uplifting when it comes to sex because people want to make fun of sex so much out there in the world. I mean, that's why we call it sex positive. Can we be positive about it? That's not what they meant, but that's how I like to interpret it. I want to leave everybody headed out into the world after a show going, holy shit, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one, whether it's about sex or the fact that you're blonde or you saw a fat person on stage or you saw a trans person on stage, you can see yourself reflected for an evening in a positive way and head back out into the world the next day and go, you know, maybe, maybe there's nothing wrong with me after all. Maybe I'm okay. In fact, maybe I'm great. And I just never looked at it that way. Yeah. So these people who come to your show and they're like, holy motherfucking shit. And they have the epiphany and you cry on each other's shoulders. Yeah. What can they do or what do they do to then go on and cultivate their own community? Is it that they have to cultivate their own community? Can they go out? Do they go out and find one that's already there? Like what, what are the next steps? Well, I think one thing I'm passionate about in coming to a new city is telling people, I try and find volunteers who are part of that community, who Mm -hmm. maybe are established members of that community, and they're kind of my welcome team. So let's say you come to the show and you're going to, as soon as you walk through the door, it's so hard to get people to get out of their house these days because everybody has social anxiety. I heard somebody refer to it the other day as the playlist. Um, Everything is playlist now. You can yeah, get I was going to say, we can sit at home and listen to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> why, why would you leave your house? Well, I usually find people in that city who can be the welcome team. Those people are often the ones who run Bango, which is my audience participation. That's a hard word. Audience participation game. And so I find some people who are local and I explain how the game works. And I say, I want you to be the person who, when somebody walks through the door, you go, Hey, do you want to play bango? You don't have to, but if you do, this gives you a reason to talk to other people. You can write funny questions on. Maybe one of the questions can be, is wearing a pony bub plug right now? Or maybe it's an opportunity to flirt with somebody and say, write in your own question. And the person will say, oh, that person over there has purple hair. Find somebody who has purple hair. Oh, you wrote your name in and now I know your name. Like these are conversation starters. 
and mm-hmm. having local people who can not just get the the game going for people and make people feel welcome at something. And we remind you all the time, you left the fucking house. You are amazing. You did something brave. Now let's have a lot of fun. You put on a bra today. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a miracle when I do that. I'm doing this interview in my pajama top, so I can't Um, believe you called me out like that. Me too. But I did put a bra on, so. I have like a, not a bra bra, but kind of like a sports bra where I feel braless, but they're a little wrangled, so I don't get one like caught in my armpit going through a doorway. I'm totally braless right now. Oh my God. That's the kind of guy I am. So risque. But I bet you're wearing your um, your ball deodorant from Manscaped. I am, actually. You love that stuff. I've been I, watching you go those, off on that stuff. Those Manscaped products are fucking amazing. <laughs> and I don't even care if they weren't a sponsor. I'd still like promote their stuff. Yeah. It's that good. <laughs> my balls have never smelled better. Oh. Oh, is that true, Sunny? Do you find it, that to be it true? It is true. It oh. is true. Although you yeah. did like the coconut lime smell that I that I originally came with. When I first met Ken, <laughs> when I first got close enough to his balls to smell them, he used some kind of coconut lime. And I just have really dug coconut lime flavor ever since. Mm. Thank so, you. Yeah. So burn a they candle smell that smells Manscaped like your balls. Smell and I don't know what that, I can't remember what the name of it is. Yeah. That's good though. I like no, it. You're giving people tips because, you know, huh? People and will be more Vegas, into that, my that, balls. Uh, ball deodorant stops you from, from your nutsack sweating. Well, you live in Las Vegas. So if it works for you, it works for anyone. Like right? that's a hot place. Yeah. Totally. I don't know how we just got on ball deodorant from community. Building we ball do deodorant community. Like maybe you should put some on your underboob, see if it works there. Oh, jug jam. Use it for your jug jam. Jug jam? I've never heard of this. So when I was a kid, um, I stole somebody's penthouse or hustler or something like that. And there was a weird story in it that was talking about this is so gross. It was talking about a man who used to like creep up believe it was his mother how creepy is that and she would fall asleep in her nightgown and he would like scrape underneath her boobs where her boobs were sweaty and he would collect it in a baby food jar like what oh my god and then he would (laughs) and then he would sniff the jar like he collected it and he would sniff it and i was like you know when you don't know you're just like is that a thing that people do i'm a kid i don't huh i never knew that everybody's keeping it secret doesn't talk about it but i guess that's the thing you do jug jam and he called it jug jam so i still call it jug jam when my boobs get sweaty wow okay first of all i don't want to kink shame anybody however (laughs) (laughs) however that was your if that was your actual mother i'm hoping this penthouse letter was just like it's a fantasy and i'm pretending it was my actual mother then get on with your bad self but if it was your real mother there's a lot of issues here. A lot yeah. of issues. Um, I mean, not really, because if he was breastfed, jug jam. No, because <laughs> when you're breastfed, it's consensual. The mom's like, here's my boob. The baby's like, oh, great, I'm hungry. But he like, did collect it in a baby food jar, so and maybe. he was 27. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Isn't that the weirdest thing? I used to, I used to read those letters in the front, which were obviously written by people who just made shit up and right there was a thing for a while where they were telling women to put alka-seltzers on their clit because they'd feel great <gasps> and they would tell you that if you wanted a woman's vagina to feel tighter stuff a bunch of strawberries and acidic fruit up in there stuff that 
stuff it oh. full and then fuck it and like no. i'm just thinking that's some jam afterwards because it's that's macerated fruit after you Cumbria. Had <laughs> <laughs> so i'm still stuck on the jug jam because like i have big boobs and i get pretty sweaty but i don't i've never seen a physical i mean maybe right. because you bathe regularly exactly. or like i it okay yes it smells like a cross between nope. vinegar and macaroni oh, which he hates oh however that's a great that's a great vinegar i'm writing it down vinegar and macaroni it's like macaroni elbows boiled in vinegar um however there's never been a physical thing i could actually scrape off from under my boobs so did he make that up or am i just lucky i don't know it's well like i mean you could get dead skin old. cells from somebody who hasn't been down there in a while and didn't wash very much and they're gonna have a lot of his mom's pheromones on it huh so i don't know like- how we got here <laughs> I don't it either. Like the same but, stuff you get under an arm, like an armpit you, fetish. You yeah. just equated the smell of jug jam to vinegar and macaroni. And one of my favorite stories from way back in the early days of body storytelling, I had a gay man, and I'm coaching him on his story, and I'm like, so you know, for somebody who's never swallowed cum, what does cum taste like? And he was like, butter and aspirin. Oh my god! Doesn't it? Yeah. It's the most accurate description I've ever heard of. I'm going to go crush up some aspirin and put it in some melted butter now and taste it. I think you should. And then put and then side Ken, by side can next you to help, ejaculate. Ken, can then... you help Sunny out so that we have a compare and contrast? Is there a way you Absolutely. can contribute? Absolutely. Okay. I want to do now. I just thought this could be a party game. For people like who are fluid cookie. bound, for people who are fluid bound, do like the Coke Pepsi challenge, but it's the which one is cum challenge. And you taste a little bit of the cum, taste a little bit of the, the what is it, butter and aspirin, mm-hmm. and see. I want to do this. So, you know, people all the time like to talk about the taste of bleach in the back of their mouth and everything like that. But then you think about that and you're like, no, bleach is not right. No. I mean, there is I've a little bit of that. People describe it as having a pancake batter odor too. <laughs> no, if your cum tastes like pancake batter, I would be blowing you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and odor, this, I said, not taste. And oh. this is and this is your opportunity to educate again. Please explain fluid bonded for people who may not like yes. that term. Okay, so. so fluid bonded is when you um, are close enough to a person you've both been tested and you have agreed to not use barriers with sex so that could be you know penis and vagina or penis and wherever sex it could be penis and ass it could be penis and mouth and um but you shouldn't do that unless you're with someone where you've both been tested and you've agreed and and all that fun stuff I think that's interesting that you say you have to have been tested because I think about how many people I know who probably, you know, they fell right into being fluid bonded and they're having sex without barriers. Oh, I have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's the should. You should be tested. And then right. there's the you what you really do. Like, oh, yeah, well, we've been fucking for six months without a condom. We should probably get tested. But they didn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's I- one element I like to work with. I will sometimes have people on stage and they will describe sex and they won't talk about when they're fucking a stranger, they won't talk about stopping and putting on a condom. And then the audience will go, they didn't do what they should. And I'm like, well, I think we all know what we should do, but I want to hear a story about what you did do. 
Because yeah. if you beat yourself up about the fact that, oh my God, I should end it all because I had unprotected sex with somebody and I made a mistake, knowing you're not, knowing there are other people who made that mistake too, they're not going to say they stopped and put a condom on unless they stopped and actually put a condom on. True, true. Yeah, I've I've been there. Like that that used to be old me. I'd be like, you know, the person would be like, I'm fine, trust me, or I've been tested, just try and I'd be like, Okay. <laughs> you seem nice. Okay. Yeah, like, okay. Now I'm like, oh now I've become more much more uh how I should be, put it that way. Yeah. So yeah. Very true. So so anyway, you had asked me about how to build community yeah. on your own. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully you go to an event uh, or you go to a munch or you go to a place. Where hopefully there is some aspect of being welcoming uh, in that community. I think mm-hmm. those are the people who do it right. If you feel as though you're welcome, as though you're not imposing on people by showing up, I mean, that thing that our brain does before we leave the house that is just like, oh, maybe it's full or maybe I don't fit this group, all the things we tell ourselves. Hopefully, if you do go to a public event, that there is a, a welcoming aspect to it so that mm-hmm. people know that, yeah, we made this up. Like, if right. you feel like you belong, you probably belong too. I have to interject too yeah. because I see this a fucking lot. What? So I see a lot at events where I'll go to a new munch, you know, and just like, oh, let me check out this munch or let me go. And this is usually at munches or or kind of free flowing social events where it's like the cool kids club and the cool kids are all at the lunch table and they don't welcome the new people. They don't walk up and go, Oh, hi, I've never seen you here before. What's your name? What, you know, let me go introduce you to some people. So people who either run munches or events or who frequent them a lot, who are popular there, please make an effort to keep an eye out for the new people that walk into the room and be welcoming because some of y'all are bitches. Anyway. That's absolutely true. And I yep. was fortunate enough. I, when I fell down the rabbit hole and first found sex parties, I eventually, before I became a storyteller, I was a sex party producer. But when I first discovered sex parties, you would always go in and there's that thing that feels like, well, if I talk to that person, they're going to think I want to fuck them. Like, just get that thought out of your head. Talking to somebody at a sex positive event does not mean that you're trying to fuck them. You're welcoming them. You know, I mean... People get laid all the time because they hit it off during that little welcome thing. But that doesn't mean someone's hitting on you just because they're talking to you. If you can get that thought out of your head, then you're not going to sit in a corner and wait for somebody to hit on you and be afraid that if you talk to somebody else, it means that they think you want to have sex with them or something like that. Mm -hmm. But when I first fell down the rabbit hole of sex parties, like I would go to them and I would go, this one does not feel like me. This one maybe feels a little creepy or everything is focused on sex or, and then I found Kinky Salon and the thing which Polly Superstar, who now lives in your city, founded in San Francisco, 20, I don't know, 15 plus years ago. When I found that, when they first came out, like I was part of the team that produced the first sex party they did. When I found Kinky Salon, Somehow the core volunteers of that party, and I think a party needs volunteers to really make it work well because the host can't do everything. Everybody was focused on how do we give the attendees a positive experience? Mm -hmm. How do we work together? This is not about us. This is not about standing in the corner and being cool. This is about the attendees experience. 
We would do things where people would dress up like Cupid and they would walk around with a bow and arrow and have like a little thing on their hip where you could write a note. I'm Cupid. Is there somebody at this party that you'd like to talk to? Why don't you write them a note and tell me who it is? Okay, I'm going to go deliver your message. I'm Cupid. Like things that were designed to make engaging with other attendees easy. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of like finding that community is where I discovered my inner fairy godmother, where I went, I know I'm not looking to fuck a bunch of people at this party, but why am I so drawn to sex parties? Like that doesn't make any sense. I'm not necessarily having that much sex, but this has become my whole life. I was the person who worked the front door when somebody came in and they said, oh my God, this is my first sex party. I can't believe I'm here. And I just moved to San Francisco or whatever it was. And I would just kind of like make a little mental note. And then when my shift was over, I went and found that person. And I said, hi, Mm -hmm. I remember that this is your first sex party, or I remember that you're brand new to town. If you could have anything at this party, what would it be? And they'd look at me funny and I'm like, I'm not hitting on you. This is not about me. What do you want? And they go, uh, I don't know. Kiss a girl. I'm like, what girl? And they'd point to somebody cute. And I'd say, I know that girl. Let's go talk to that girl. And I would introduce them to each other, make sure everything was going well. And then I'd go stand off to the side to keep an eye on them because, you know, it was a little... It was like the Wild West at sex parties back then, <laughs> where there was always some domly dom who was like, oh, two young, attractive females are over here. I'm going to insinuate myself. And I'd just stand there and wait to be the big sister and go, Mr. Domly Dom, you should back the fuck up because they're having a moment <laughs> and you are not part of it. You know, that I think I got that because we I, I became part of this community of people who agreed This is what we're going to do together. We're going to send people home with positive experiences because they left their house. They did something brave. They realized maybe they were bisexual or maybe they were kinky or, you know, any of those things. And this is often a first attempt to connect with others around that thing. So how do we make it a great experience? Mm-hmm. And and speaking of cultivating inclusive sex positive spaces, I have to give a plug for um, Love is Not Colorblind by Kevin Patterson. Mm-hmm. It's a book about um, making sex positive spaces inclusive for people of color and people of other marginalized identities. So American fucker out there, if you're listening and you're like, you know, I am a party organizer or I'm the definitely read Kevin's book. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes that as well. That is great. I yeah, did not know yeah. that. Yeah. And he also was on one of our, uh, forget what number podcast, but I'll put that in the show notes. He was one of our guests too. And it's brilliant work. So oh, yeah. I love that. All right. So what's up with you? I know you're doing more things to create more community and more cities. What is that? Um, I am going on a tour. There's two ways that I'm doing this. I decided that I wanted to figure out how to know what cities, I mean, that's the thing about having a podcast. By the way, can I, can I do a show? I got a best of from Forbes magazine. Fucking A. How fucking weird is that? I'm like, they don't even. Congratulations on that, by the way. Again, that's that's incredible. They don't write about sex. What, What is Forbes magazine doing writing about 
Yeah. I don't I, know, man. Just don't question it. Just take it. I don't either. And take I looked it. up, it, it said, here are five of the best, and they called us audio porn. And we seem to be the only podcast on that list. The other ones were apps and websites and people reading their own erotica on their website and stuff like that. I'm like, huh, audio porn. I never thought of myself that way. But I'll take it. Forbes magazine. Yeah. I will take it. Um, one of the things about having a podcast, I'm sure you guys know this, is those are people who listen to to your episode with their earbuds in, mm-hmm. which is kind of a solitary, intimate moment. But are those people the sort of people who will come out to a live event to build community and to make friends? Uh, I'm never sure how that works because I've I've I had a meetup in Portland a few months ago. And this man kept writing me and saying, oh, my God, I don't have any friends. And uh, go be in a room with other people. I don't do that. I have my job. And I go home and I lay on the couch. I don't talk to people. And he loved listening to stories so much. And he heard my voice in his ear so much that he actually came out to a meetup when I showed up. And, and he was super uncomfortable. He was just like, oh, my God, I'm around other people. I don't know how to make conversation, which makes me so sad. And he continued writing me after it. And he's like, if you came back to Portland and did a show, could I go to a show? I don't know if I could go to a show, which Aww. is so contrary to how I look at everything. I'm like, how the hell is your life going to change if you only do what you do and you don't right. do anything new? And you seem lonely. So do the thing that you know can fix that. But there are a lot of people who listen to podcasts who are like that. So I'm doing a thing called the test tickle. And the test tickle, which sounds like testicle. Purposely, right? It wasn't like, oh, my God, later when you printed all of your promotion materials, like, oh, my God, it sounds like testicle. Like You, no, you plan that. Right? No, I came up with the idea. And my podcast producer, Marty Garcia, said, I've got a name for the thing, the test tickle. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is such a bad dad pun. And he's a dad. <laughs> Totally. I'm thinking about Ken's balls, his nice coconut lime balls right now. The testicle. Picture that when you go to bodystorytelling.com slash test tickle. And uh, I did not come up with that pun, but it works really well and it's memorable. And there we have gone to where on the podcast, uh, the top 10 cities that we have the most downloads in. And then we've had a bunch of super fans who were like, if you ever came here, and one of those cities is Philadelphia. And so, you know, we added two cities that had super fans where they're like, you don't understand if you came here. And I'm like, this is actually the first way I've ever figured out to test the theory. I can put tickets up and we can see if people do that. So here's how the testicle works. So we've listed 12 cities there. And you can vote by your, for your city by buying a ticket to the show. When we get to 50 tickets or so, then we're going to activate that city and know that there are people in that city who will go to live events, build community, meet other people in their city, and, and are not the kind who only want to listen through their earbuds. Um, and then we will, once your city is activated, usually we can tell which cities are doing well so we can start doing venue research and stuff like that. And we can say that city actually has a show. If you bought a ticket to reinforce the belief that your city is one that would support a live event where we could build community in your city, then that city is activated. The thing of the 12 cities that we have 
on the testicle. We have activated three now. Oh, nice. I know. I'm so excited about that. And I, on my podcast earlier this week, I talked about uh, which cities, you know, some of the people who were writing me going, should I'm halfway between Denver and Vegas. Like these people will drive hours. The ones who wow. really want to go to the lab. So one guy wrote me the other day and he says, I'm a, I'm a trucker, so I love to drive. Uh, I could either go to the one in D.C. or the one in Atlanta. Either one's five hours from me. And I'm like, <gasps> first off, where the hell do you live? Because I can't do that geography. I'm not that good at. But he was like, I'll drive wherever. Just let me know and I'll, you know, I'll talk my wife into it and we'll do it together. It'll be a road trip where we can have conversations. People who are like Denver or Vegas, I'm between the two cities. Tell me which one is doing better so that I can reinforce that city so that we can you know, get that city activated, and then I can come to the show in that city. People are willing to drive a long way. Wow. I had that happen when I did a show in New York. Somebody drove from way out on the other side of Maryland, <gasps> and we invited them out to breakfast and said, please don't drive home. That's like God knows how many hours. Just go have breakfast with us. And we just hung out and talked and became friends. And they got to sit there at a table talking to other people who were into the same things who, you know, so even if it's a long distance community or if it's a long distance commute, you're still building community by being in person in a room, having a shared experience, listening to a story or anything like that. So the testicle has now been activated in Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. So those are uh, now active and if you go to the website, there are now tour dates for those cities which have been set. And uh, we are continuing the testicle. We are continuing the testicle until <laughs> September 23rd, the first day of fall. And so you have a few more weeks to vote for the city near you on that list. And then come out and be welcomed to a live show and listen to stories and play bango and talk to nine other people at a show. Only if you want to. Nobody has to play bango. But it means you get to talk to people. And then you sit down and you turn in your card. And then we give away huge sex toys. We give away prizes and kinky stuff. And you get to go home with some stuff because you were brave and talked to other people in person. Oh, I love it. I love it. And th for those who haven't been to a body storytelling event, I can tell you from experience, they're fucking magic. I think, I think the... The term church has been brought up. It's kind of like the, your dirty church. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. So, yeah. nice. Wouldn't nice. it be great if you could go? I mean, that's what churches were. The reason church is so huge is not just because we all believe in the same thing, but there used to be no spaces for communities. There was no place for everybody to come together except church. That right. building in your city, every fucking, every fucking town had a church because that was the center of community. They had ice cream socials. I grew up in a town that had less than 400 people, still had three churches, Presbyterian, Methodist, and Baptist. And, you know, people would get together. They'd do potlucks. They'd, it wasn't strictly about worshiping together. It was about an opportunity to come together. Yeah, that's the great part of church. Let's take all the good stuff. Nobody's going to go to hell yeah. for doing the things that they want to do. We're all just gonna like, find our people. I've often said that I wish there were more just 
secular churches. Like, we're not going to talk about God. It's not about God. It's about getting together and doing community stuff and, you know, well, I, helping you know, people. It's funny. I've actually found that in the role-playing game community where I play Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder. Not only does it make me a supreme nerd, and I realize that, but I've actually gotten a lot of that same feeling that I used to get in church, and it's replaced by the community that I get through the gaming community. Wow. Because we sit together for hours at a time. There's food interaction. We do conventions together. We travel together to go to other conventions and uh, just have an amazing time doing it. And I get like more of my community that way than through any other source. So, Ken, you've been a big gamer for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I started when the, the game actually first started in 1978. The game? What do you mean, the game? Dungeons & Dragons. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Not a gamer. That, I'm like that what? is the only game. <laughs> no, there are many. There's at least four others. Now. No, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> and you just knew you were a nerd, and you were like, it takes other players to play a game, so I'm going to go to an event and I'm going to like geek out and play against other people in person. Is that how you first got involved? Yeah, per, well, it's it, it initially it started off with just like setting up a pup tent in the backyard, having some friends over, and then we would game for hours and hours and hours. If you saw the TV series Stranger yeah, Things. Yes, I was thinking about when you said that. Yeah, and that's exactly what we did. Like Stranger Things was us. Uh, where like me and my friend Bear and Adam and Matt, we all got together and we would just game for, you know, 24 hours straight if we could. Uh, and then that developed later on in life after I'd been in and out of the military, in and out of college, uh, found out that they had social programs. There was this great program called Living Greyhawk that was um, – and, and this would be something interesting to see the kink community do. But what they did was you got special rewards for your character if you physically traveled to the area where that item was at. So there would be special adventures that would be in Louisville, Kentucky, or in Dayton, Ohio. And we as a group of adventurers, like physically, would travel to that state and city to get a stupid certificate. I mean, I, I know it seems ridiculous, but it created this community that actually forced us to travel to different areas to meet other people that had the same feeling of community. I love that. So... Like, I can totally see you living Greyhawk. I mean, that's just like getting on stage to tell your story. I want to have a role in this game. You know, I'm going to go to that place. I'm going to collect this item. And I just became a little rock star by doing something that nobody else has done. Yep. It was. It's pretty amazing what they did with it. And then they would do an entire convention uh, where this, there was an event called an interactive where normally when you play, it's one dungeon master, the guy who isn't or the person who's in charge of the table and six players for an interactive, it was everybody in the entire convention has to solve some sort of a problem. Like there's the giants are invading or something of that sort, but it made it so that we were collaborating in little groups and in larger group as a whole for a specific event. Wow. So when you talk about living Greyhawk and how the kink community could use, how would that work for kink in your mind? Um, Usually it would have to involve some sort of an overarching organization, unfortunately, but it would be just the thrill of being able to go get, I don't know, maybe uh, a class in storytelling if they went to San Francisco for, you know, like like sexy storytelling by you. Uh, they could go to Vegas and pick up a class in abduction and interrogation from Sonny and I. They could go to Chicago to get a class in humiliation play. Um but it would be like people all over the United States that would be involved in some kind of organization 
cooperatively. And it's that cooperation that we don't see on, an, on a national level. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hope somebody who's listening to this episode is going to go out and make that happen. And then we can go, oh, my God, it exists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, Polly Superstar is pretty close to doing that with the, you know, the different salons she has all over the United States. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what we need to do is maybe have people get a hold of her and see if we can make it a national thing. Yeah, I was actually online and somebody was talking about not having community in their city. And somebody I didn't even know on the other side of the world was like, do you know about Kinky Salon Copenhagen? This is exactly what you're looking for. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. It wow. is it is out there. Like it's in cities internationally. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So wait, you guys teach abduction and interrogation? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could, we, we could also dress as clowns. I remember really when we were at Dark Odyssey Fusion, Greg uh, from San Francisco has the Dark Odyssey series. Right. And Dark Odyssey Fusion is is in uh, northern Maryland. Yes. Pretty close to the Washington, D.C. area. So we got to teach that class to people that actually do it. And they complimented us very much on our technique. So, and, and speaking of people who do it, like military Oh, people. like, I'm sorry, military yeah. people that, yeah. do, that do abduction <laughs> and terror. I have, also happened to be kinky. I have been to that location and we did a body storytelling there and it was like packed on a Sunday night, the perfect way for people to end a kinky weekend yeah. or a sex positive weekend is just to have an opportunity for people to get up, tell stories, and then they can do their final connection. You know, mm-hmm. if you can mm-hmm. pull them away from the dungeon, sometimes we're competing against a dungeon now. Yeah, which is that's that's tough. That's tough. Or so, a bouncy house. They have a great bouncy house. They do have a great bouncy house. On the, on the abduction and interrogation, I tell this one on stage all the time. Somebody told me this story once, and I it's just in my head forever. A friend of mine was telling me about uh, a female friend of hers that had an abduction fantasy. And the fantasy would involve being abducted off the street, you know, thrown into a van, um, and never know it's coming. And so they're down in the mission, the the very center of San Francisco. Uh, this woman's walking down the street. Somebody pulls up in a white van. A bunch of people get out, throw a hood over her head, throw her in the back of the van. Uh, she's kicking and biting. And the driver takes off, and there's a cop who sees it. Oh, no. And so the driver gets pulled over, and the cop gets out, walks around to the driver, opens the side door. He goes around to the side door of the van, opens the door. They pulled the hood off the woman's head, and he just looks at the woman and goes, abduction scene? Oh, that's awesome. She's like, yeah. He goes, you can go. Best cop ever. Oh, and this is why this is why police departments across the country need more people like me and Ken right? to inform them and come hire us. We'll teach you. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Well, this has been fucking amazing. So we know where to go for the test tickle. Mm-hmm. Um, and where do we? Right here, baby. <laughs> so there's going to be taste tests going on right after this totally, episode over at your totally. house. So upcoming shows for Body Storytelling, if you're listening to Sunny and Ken's podcast, we are coming to Chicago on October 18th. We're coming to New York City on October 30th. We're coming to Los Angeles on October 3rd. Uh, uh, Wait, Seattle is coming up soon, September 25th. A lot of people build community at our Seattle show. Like they find each other there. 
Uh, and we are doing a big Folsom Street Fair. We're doing Go to the Folsom Street Fair, which is the largest kink event in the world during the day in San Francisco on Sunday, September 29th. And afterwards, for the very first time ever, we are going to have body storytelling where you can have a butt for your seat and have a tasty cocktail and listen to kinky stories. And I have something so special planned that I can't believe I finally have a story like this after all the years of trying to make it happen. Oh, and that's something we have to wait for, right? You can't give us spoilers. I'm, I can't tell you about it yet, but it's going to be incredible. It's something I have wanted. Somebody is traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles to tell a story I've never had on my stage. <gasps> oh, I'm excited. And it's kink and related because it's oh, the Folsom Street Fair. Yay. You and should you- come so that you can, I'm trying to get you guys here for Folsom Street Fair so you can experience that magic. With I have an event that week. Oh, okay. I'm going to be in San Diego at the Firewoman <gasps> Retreat. Oh, but that's right. And Joe Goddard's event. That's yeah. going to be so cool. Maybe next year. And you also said a butt for your seat instead of a seat for your butt. And I was like, everyone gets butts. This is amazing. <laughs> I am kind of obsessed with butts. You might get a butt. Okay. Cool. You get a butt. And you get a butt. Yeah. And you get a butt. And you get I, a butt. I can get behind that. Anyway. Uh, um, that stinks. <laughs> Thank you, ass. Dixie. Yeah. We love you. We this love has you, been Dixie. great. I love you guys. This has been really fun. Podcast yes. interviews aren't always fun, but you guys are always fun to talk to. Well done. Hey, awesome. when are you going to come visit us with Quake? <laughs> are you sure you're down for that? By the way, Quake it. is my 165-pound St. Bernard. Like, in case they don't know. So, Quake and I love road trips. It's not your tits. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's your tits. Yeah, I know. I think my, I think people make fun of my giant tits, but I think yours probably dwarf mine, Sunny. I don't know. We'll I, see. I don't know. I feel like you and I are, you know, poly polyamorous, uh, non polyamorous life partners, or whatever the hell Ken called us at the beginning of the show. But we're also gregarious, big titted podcast hosts. So we are. You are. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Right. Let's make that happen. Me and Quake are going to come hang out with you and Uncle George. I want to meet Uncle George so bad. Cool. We'll do it. We'll have vodka by the pool. Oh, the um, should I tell them where to find me? Yes. yes. Okay. So uh, I am Dixie Delatour. In case you didn't hear my name, I am a sexual folklorist who has been doing sex and storytelling for 13 years. Uh, we are based in San Francisco and also monthly in Seattle. If you go to bodystorytelling.com, spelled B-A-W-D-Y, like Mae West body think of a think of a woman with big hips wiggling her ass that's body uh and (laughs) so bodystorytelling.com the podcast is the body storytelling podcast we're on instagram everything is body storytelling except twitter which is just b-a-w-t-y awesome thank you and i have one thing that i need to add and i'm sorry to do a a shameless self-promotion at this point yeah but uh, a couple years ago, uh, Sonny and I were involved with a movie called Diminuendo. <gasps> oh, and it yeah. is now available on Amazon Prime. So American fuckers, if you're listening to this, go there. Watch Diminuendo. Make sure you have a box of tissues nearby because you're going to cry. You might need a therapy appointment afterwards as well. Uh, but it's called Diminuendo. And uh, you'll if you look really hard, you'll spot both Sonny and myself at some point in the movie. So what platform is that on? Amazon Prime. Amazon and Prime. It's, okay. it's going to be on iTunes and a bunch of other Yeah, it'll be on there. iTunes and it'll be available in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, I think, in about two, three weeks. I oh. can't wait. Thank you for telling awesome. me. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Dixie. Thank, Thank you, you so Dixie. much, Sonny and Ken. Love Bye. you.
Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag SciChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.